Um, okay. Uh, welcome everyone to Faded Mates. It's Sports Week. Woohoo! Yay! And we're here with Jenny Norback again from the Wicked Wallflower Podcast. Author, podcaster, all girl about town, <laughs> all around amazing human. Stop! Stop it! No, we love you. Stop! You just must accept our accolades if you're going to be our guest. That's how it works. It's true. <laughs> Um, I'm Sarah McLean. I'm Jen Reed's Romance. <laughs> so ridiculous. That is your name. I don't know what else to say. I'm, I know it's your passport name now. It's the whole thing. Um, that's how I booked myself into the doctor and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, did we not discuss today on Twitter or a couple days ago via text, Jen, that uh, you hate going to the hairdresser because you hate small talk? God, I know. It's terrible. I thought I was the only one. No, it's awful. I, I'll i <laughs> almost pick a hairdresser based upon the fact that they can just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, and it sucks. And it's, well, here's my question. Does anybody really love going, if you love going to the hairdresser and talking to your hairdresser, can you just like t- tell us on Twitter or something? Because we're all confused. <laughs> A little bit about like nobody and I don't understand how any hairdresser enjoys small talk they, enough. It must they, be exhausting for them to the too. same fucking conversation yeah. every day. Um, but anyway, I told Jen she just needs to tell her hairdresser, like, I'm so sorry, I'm reading all these Rita books and I I gotta keep going, so I'm just gonna have to read. <laughs> That's what I do. I sit and read them. I'll be like, do you mind if I read? And they're always like, no. And I just sit and read and ignore them. All right. I'm going to try that then. I'm going to report that. That has to be what they want. Like, imagine how relieving it is to say. Yeah, they just get to go in their zen hair place. And (laughs) they don't have to pretend to care what's going on in my life. And vice versa. Um, Well, Jen, since I mentioned it, do you want to talk about the fact that you're reading all the Rita books? And then we'll go into, we'll get into sports by that. It'll it'll be a good segue. Okay, sure. I am um I don't I don't know what to call this project except that I I'm doing this thing. Should we explain the Rita? Sure. It feels like one of those things where everyone knows, but I don't think everyone does. Yeah. So So why don't yeah. you explain the Rita, Sarah, since you're our resident author and also reader winner? Yeah, though I mean this week is that a thing is that a point of honor? Who knows? Um uh, the Rita is basically the Academy Award of the romance world. The it it is a the highest. It has for many years been considered the highest honor of romance, um, and uh, it's been given for something like thirty five years to the best romance in you know numerous categories every year. Um, I am a Rita Award winner, uh, but this year um, we well last year and for many years. <laughs> The Rita has been a big problem. It's a um, self-judged... Self-entry, right? Self-enter. You you have to enter your own book into the contest, and then it's judged by your peers, but... But there's like 1,300 judges who don't get any instruction on how to judge. Yeah, it's a deeply deep... If you follow any literary award, every literary award has at one point or another had this exact problem with peer judging. Like, if there's ever been peer judging, it's been part of this. Anybody who followed the Hugos, this has been a huge issue there. And um, pretty much what we're discovering is that um, is what we've all sort of known is bearing fruit, which is that there is... There are a whole lot of... um, real problems with inside the romance world uh, with systemic racism. Um, No black woman has ever won a Rita. Um, You are as likely to have been named Susan as you are to be a woman of color if you have finaled as a Rita, which is bonkers. Um, Women of color and marginalized writers are largely... I mean, there is there is immense bias yeah. against them um, in the Rita contest. So it's interesting because my husband does admissions and he uses the word underrepresented. And I think like it's a really good re- like way to sort of like roll that out. Right. Like and what is underrepresenting people? The reason that black authors and other women of color aren't becoming finalists and aren't winning the Rita is because of racism. And so, and also, by the way, LGBTQIA books are also underrepresented and, and authors and those stories. And so this is something um, that kind of blew up last week. Well, it blew up last year. 
and then RWA, the organization, the Romance Writers of America, you know, changed the rules for the Ritas, and they did they did a they sort of band aided. It seems now that they they slapped a band aid on the problem and said, "Well, we think we've probably fixed it, so let's see." And this year we had the exact same problem. Um, and when the Rita finalists were announced, um, there are three women of color nominated out of 78 authors total which is just outrageous i mean it's outrageous it's not representative of the membership of rwa it's not representative of of romance it's not representative of the best books of romance um which you know if you've got the three of us the two gents (laughs) and me i mean we read a lot of romance novels and last year we read a lot of romance novels and i think we'd all say that it's not representative of what was best last year so jen reads romance (laughs) jen Jen reads romance faded faded mates jen (laughs) uh took on a project yeah well and here's here's kind of why like i i looked at the list and i mean you guys i i i don't like do other things besides read <laughs> like i would like you'd all know i'm profoundly like a nerd in a way that's really pretty unmade uh, like unbelievable even to me and i had only read three of those 78 books and only heard of uh like 20 of those authors i mean these are i was like who are these books? bizarre right yeah, yeah it was like, the same really? way i was like i read a lot and i know i think i'd read two yeah maybe and i was like and i think that i try really hard to read really widely like I pride myself on it I'm an asshole that way I I want to come across new authors and good stories and interesting stories and so I was like okay I'm gonna read these books now I'm also on spring break my family was away I was home by myself I was like I'm just gonna read all day because that's what I like to do so I've been reading the books and I have been updating a long thread on Twitter with my opinions and people don't always agree and that's fine. Um, I just finished book 21 and I mean this is killer also in the sense that the Rita's the finalists were announced like eight days ago. Yeah. <laughs> and Jen's read 21 Well, Well, I'm also DNFing, right? Like I'm also like it's kind of like a 50 page limit and if I can't get into your book in 50 pages we're done. And some of them it's been sooner. And so I, and I'm reporting back. So I started, it's a long ass thread. And Sarah was like, Jennifer. Too long. Yeah. So I created a new. (laughs) Impossible to read. It's like Ulysses. It's like if Ulysses was a Twitter thread. Yes. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, so anyway, it's, what's it? Jen Rita's? Is that the, um, so I created a new. We'll put it in show notes. Yeah, I'll put it in show notes. There's a new Twitter that essentially is like it creates an anchor point for each book and numbers it. And sort of like then if you just want to look at that one, you can sort of see what what I say about the books. And you know what? I'm not looking actually to like have people think I'm right. Like I know my reading style and my reading taste and I think I'm being fair to these books. But it's also very much through like my lens. I'm not trying to say this is how Rita judge judges should judge the Rita's. But at least it's me, one person, looking at these books with the same lens and talking about each book kind of in like through like this is what I think. And I don't know if that's useful or not, but I, well, I think super it is. useful. Well, what's cool is like it's been a combination of like some of us have discovered books that we wouldn't have where it's like, oh, yeah. this sounds really cool. And like, I would love to read this. And then there's been the train wrecks where that is not the case. And yeah. it's like, OK, who who voted this to be a finalist? And let's examine their biases. Well, and I can now say like one of the the shittiest things that people say is and I mean like white authors say is like, well, you know, books by black women aren't as good. And I've read these books, you guys, and it's not like they're all good. Some of them are amazing. I, like you, have come across ones where I've been like, wow, this is charming, and I really enjoyed it. But, like, that is, if if I can debunk that pernicious lie, I am happy to be the one to do it. Because some of these books are not good, and some of them are harmful, and some of them are boring. And so, like, the idea that somehow this is, like, like this system works, I think I can now say to anybody, no, it doesn't. And I know it because I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so 
let's get let's dig into sports because I know it seems like a crazy uh, connection, but there is a connection um, from the Ritas to uh, today's podcast. And I'm going to let Jenny talk for a little bit and then we'll get in. So we're going to do it a little differently this this week as an interstitial. Um, Jenny's going to talk about her first pick and then. Uh, and then we'll sort of back into why sports romances work. Yeah. So my the book that I have picked is Hookshot by Kennedy Ryan. But Kennedy is also a Rita finalist for her other book, Longshot. And Longshot is out, outstanding. Like it's, oh, well, I mean, one of my top three for last year, unquestionably. For and, sure. Same. And, and actually the appropriate segue here is that I, prior to reading that book, would have told you I don't read sports romance. I was like, it's just not really my thing. I don't really, I'd maybe read a couple, but, you know, just it wasn't something I sought out. And I think after I read Longshot, I read like 14 in a row. Wow. Where I was just like, if this is what it is, give me more. So Kennedy kind of started me binge reading that. And, you know, now here we are what, less than a year later. And when you ask me what interstitial I want to do, I'm like, let's do sports, which (laughs) would have been insane to me prior to that. So, but I think just starting with Longshot showed me that sports romance doesn't, I don't know what I thought it meant, but it just means that those are the, the pieces of their lives that you're getting. And it gives you this interesting other layer to it, but doesn't mean that we're talking about sports ball, you know, (laughs) like, right. It's still a romance. It's still storytelling. So long shot in particular, I mean, I feel like Sarah describes it better than I do, but that's true of most books. Oh, that's <laughs> false. But long shot, I mean, I'm the same way. I don't remember how I came to long shot, but I remember that when I did come to long shot, I was like, oh my God, this is what a sports romance can be. And it, um, cause I think that, and I, and we'll talk about this over the course of the episode, I know, but I think sports romance so often is just about like place holding the alpha as like um you know he's it's a duke a vampire like a billionaire a quarterback (laughs) you know there's no yeah it just is right um and i well it's about people that are at the pinnacle of something right it's deep competence porn yes absolutely and it's about being at the pinnacle of like like peak physical shape but also i think of athletes as being some of the most disciplined people i know and so I think that it really like speaks to something too that I felt, yeah, like complete competence porn. Like here's someone at the top of their game, but you know, unlike, I don't know, like just like I'm randomly good at something like to be an athlete at that level, like, yes, you're naturally gifted, but you are also working your ass off. And I also love that. I love people that work hard mm-hmm. because I'm a capitalist and I grew up in America. Sorry, I want to be better. So I think that that's part of it too, right? I just love like people that like really are like, oh, and sports romance really is about that every time. But what's interesting is that Kennedy turns it on its head, right? Because in most sports romances prior to, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not saying Longshot is like sports romance Jesus, but I'm, I'm in, in a but lot. But she's not not saying I'm that. I'm not not saying it because it feels to me like prior to that, all the sports romances that I've really ever read, and I'm thinking about the really big ones, the like, you know, Chicago Stars series by Susan Elizabeth Phillips or like the that hockey series from uh, Rachel Gibson, the kind of like seminal sports texts in the genre have always been about men at the peak of their career too. like it's the quarterback for the Super Bowl winning you know, Chicago stars is the hero right. or, you know, the stand, it, the whole book is like a lead up to the Stanley cup in a, in a hockey series. And what this, what long shot does is it actually begins the night before the NBA draft. Right. So, and it's in, I want to say it's in new Orleans, um, but wherever, whatever city it's in, um, the heroine is sitting at a bar um, the night before the draft and the hero comes in and they have this like wonderful, wonderful moment where they are so perfect for each other. It's like a moment of pure perfection. And he is on the cusp of something magnificent, right? He's about to be drafted into the NBA. Like he's not at the pinnacle of his career. He's just at the like perfect 
the inception point of his career. And there's something like magnificent and the whole thing feels like this kind of inception point of everything of their whole life. Um, and he sort of is he he's in this moment where he's like, I can't, like a romance, a, a relationship is just not I mean, it's just it can't possibly be he's about to become a superstar. And like like you said, Jen, this sports, this sense of sports as the as you having to be super disciplined to succeed in it like there's no room for love in sports right um and she there's no crying in baseball exactly (laughs) and if there were room for love in sports um it wouldn't work anyway because she is in a relationship with who who, the the man who will become his rival on the court um and then what's even worse is that um, that relationship is super duper problematic in that it's tra- it's traumatic, it's it's abusive. The abuse is on the page. There's a it's important that there be a content warning for those of you who are coming into Longshot. Um, but Longshot's magnificent because it's so important and it shows that sort of remarkable. It's the arc of the heroine Longshot. Um, the hero and the heroine come back together later like long after that night when um when he's drafted and she it's the art it's the story of a trauma survivor it's the story of someone who has to learn that she can love again and that she can trust again um and it's really gentle and perfect that relationship I mean, it's magna- It's a magnificent book, and I know Kennedy did a lot of work on it, and I know, Jenny, you know all about that. I was going to say, you guys have record- uh, interviewed her a couple times on Wicked Wallflowers, so tell us about, like, like highlights from those interviews. And, yeah, so, I mean, that was my question for her is, like, how do- – she is not a survivor of domestic violence or any kind of trauma like that, but she writes it, I think, really authentically and in a way that – I think is like healthy for people who may have experienced that because she shows them doing the work and having to go through therapy and having to get there on their own and that it can be a really complicated process. And so she interviewed survivors of domestic violence intensively to write this book and her subsequent books tend to deal with bigger real life issues for people as well. So, um, she has numerous sensitivity readers and and that was something I asked her this the second time that we interviewed her was like how does someone approach that you know like okay I want to write a book that deals with sensitive subject matter I want to talk to survivors but you're not just going to walk into like a survivor's meeting and be like hey can I borrow your stories like tell me about your pain like that's awful so I, one of my questions was for her was like, what would your advice be for someone who is going to write this and how do they go about that? And it sounds like for her, she has a really loyal reader base so she could reach out to them and be like, Hey, I'm looking at dealing with this subject matter. Is there anyone who would be willing to talk to me about it? And she got so many people who responded, which is tragic that she couldn't even talk to them all. But, and uh, I think a therapist was one of the people she talked to who gave her a lot of input that she said was valuable, but just that she takes the time to do that work before assuming she understands someone else's experience, I think comes across in the story. And that's why it's so powerful to us. So long shot deals with domestic violence and then block shot is the next book in the series. And it deals Everyone says there's a love triangle. I don't think there's a love triangle. I think it's more the dynamics of a menage where she, the heroine is in a relationship with a really, really good guy. We've got a hero who it's kind of morality chain. Like he it is bad and doesn't give a shit, but will be good for the heroine and just knows that she is the woman for him and has always known that and will do whatever it takes to get her. So it's a love triangle in the sense that that relationship, the first relationship has to transition, but it's to me a menage dynamic in that he doesn't get hurt and then go away. Like it's, they have to, their relationship has to change, but he's such an important part of her life that all three of them have to find a way to coexist. And like, 
it, that worked for me. Um, and that one is like second chance enemies to lovers between sports agents, which, so they're not athletes. Neither of them are athletes. And it gives you a different side of the sports mm-hmm, world, world, which is kind of cool. Like the competitive dynamic and like what those contracts look like. And like, that was interesting and to I see. I think like before you move on, like the other thing that's like really interesting to me about this is like when we talk about like the alpha like without talking about like the the downside of it right like the negative way i mean the sports world especially at the top is very toxic i mean you know we have nfl players beating up their girlfriends and you know i mean there's like lots of things that happen that are really like damaging to people in that world too and i think that it sounds like kennedy's books are really exploring something that Maybe like a more lighthearted, like we're just on our way to the Stanley Cup romance is not really getting at. And so it's like, like really developing a whole world for us as readers to see, which I think is really important. So that was actually why she wrote Longshot in the first place is she saw it was Ray Rice, right? The video, the elevator video where Mm -hmm. he knocks his girlfriend out and drags her out like a pile of trash. And everyone after the fact had lots to say about it. And everyone has an opinion on like, well, she should just get out of that relationship or it became the butt of a joke or it was just the response to it was awful. And it made her want to explore that and make the point that like, she's not weak for being in this relationship and the way that we deal with domestic violence is terrible and the likelihood that he's going to get any kind of real punishment for this is slim to none and he's going to get away with it and you know maybe get a slap on the wrist or whatever and who is this woman and what's her story and how does she survive this so yeah that's I mean you've hit the nail on the head with like that's how Kennedy is approaching sports is like what are the real stories here and how do people grow and thrive in this environment? And, you know, what are some of the downfalls, I guess? Well, I think also this speaks to the issue of like of race in sports too, because I think, you know, for way too long, and this is now, it's it's said so often now, and it's almost a cliche to point it out, but for way too long in romance, sports romances were so white that, you know, we would see like whole football teams that are just oh, yeah. just all white guys playing football. Um, or, you know, I mean, well, hockey's pretty white still, but the, I mean. Well, but you know what? I'm yeah. going to go ahead and say, and I, I'm not the first one to say it or notice it, but like it was all football romances until many black women or, or readers of color, black readers were like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. And then you see the rise of the hockey romance. Mm-hmm. Like I actually found a, like a smart bitches, like a comment where someone's like, God, I'd love to find a hockey romance. And I was like, what? They're everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. <laughs> but I was like, and I think that's because mm-hmm. it was, you know, like, again, like, you know, like white supremacy is really fucking nimble. And so they're like, oh, we shouldn't be writing about football anymore, but I don't really want to deal with this. So like, let's write a bunch of hockey players. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not really surprising that that hockey romances all of a sudden became this big thing because, you know, it was like this is not your territory. So all those people just like shuffled over to something else. Right. I don't know. Well, it's particularly interesting because like though in those early, in those early books, all of them, the, the, the plot that keeps coming back over and over again is this like, well, he's a playboy. He needs like his PR person, like says he needs to have a girlfriend who is like, you know, a good girl. Like it's time for him to clean up his image. Right. It's such a like classic, old school sports romance plot but yeah. like kennedy blows blows that up as like an even acceptable plot like it's not about image it's about actual real decent people on the page um yeah. and the hard work that that takes when you come from when you are 18 or 19 and you're thrust into like a limelight that's also a multi-billion dollar business that's also where you're thrown tons of money and your frontal lobe literally is not developed as we've talked about before on this podcast like kennedy's mining all of that stuff in a really really interesting way and um and then i is it time can i talk about mine yet (laughs) 
Well, we haven't I mean, even I actually talked about yeah. Hookshot yet, though. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, we, we haven't talked about Hookshot. Okay, which never mind. We're gonna, we have we'll to there. talk about because... I know, you're right. Uh, but, <laughs> I yeah, like, thanks, no, Jen. I was, like, I was just going to be like, okay. I'm going to keep going. I have something to say about my book, but no. <laughs> you go. <laughs> okay, so Hookshot is the third book in the Hoop series, and it follows Lotus, who is the cousin of the heroine from the first book. And in the first book, Longshot, we see the heroine have to go back to her like roots on the swamp and she's got this I think it's her grandmother not her great-grandmother who's a voodoo priestess and like that's part of her recovery process is like getting back in touch with those roots and she didn't really grow up with her grandmother Lotus the heroine of block or of hookshot did grow up with her because she had a really traumatic childhood experience it's sexual violence we should put that out there in this case it doesn't happen on the page the way it does in long shot so that might make a difference for people um, but we are dealing with a survivor of childhood sexual violence and so she got sent away to live with her grandmother uh, because her mother's partner sexually assaulted her and her mother chose her partner over her. So the book opens with this guy's funeral and she is there as a very young woman with her grandmother and, you know, the funeral's over. They're going to bury this guy. And the grandmother, who's the voodoo priestess, says like to the grave diggers, like, you need to go away for a few minutes. Um, You know, I don't care what you do with his body. I'm just here for his soul. And like casts his soul to the devil kind of deal. Wow. And like it, that makes it sound ridiculous and it's not, it's really intense. But so now Lotus is a grown woman. She's in New York. She's a fashion designer. She is like doing pretty well, but in, she's managed to block it out is basically what's happening. She still really likes sex, but for her sex has no intimacy So she kind of divides the intimacy from the sex and that's how she enjoys it as like a physical experience, but does not allow her partners to get deeper. Like she's not connecting with them and she's realizing this is coming to a head and I can't do this anymore. So it's, she swears off Dick is how she puts it. And she's funny. And you know, like this makes it sound like it's all dark and it's not, there's a lot of humor in there and like is real life for survivors of this kind of stuff. So, um, Keenan is the hero, and we've met him in the first two books as well. So he is in the NBA. He's incredibly successful. Uh, he has a he's a single dad in that he has a daughter, and his ex wife is kind of a reality TV. Like she's trying to use his status as an NBA player to be on reality TV shows and like just do things that he feels is really unhealthy for his daughter. They've had a really messy divorce. He's hurt coming out of that. And so in the first two books, we see them meeting and it's just that thing where like he knows this woman is something special and powerful and like literally stops him in his tracks. And he's like, who is this? And then you see them trying to like start a relationship at a time that is not right for either of them. And they just have to like heal and grow. And you see Lotus going through, like she decides to start therapy and you see her trying to work through that process and like find a way to really trust and love this man who she knows is good, but she has to get past that trauma. And it just, it's perfection. Like everything, it's everything I want in a romance that is going to not just be light and fluffy. Like if you're willing to go to that really emotional place and go on that journey with your characters, it's phenomenal. Um, just, yeah, that yeah. sounds amazing. Well, and I will admit, like, I, I don't think I can read long shot. Like I just, it's hard for me to read that kind of stuff on page. And so like knowing that this explores like, like therapy and sort of the process of healing without having to like sort of, go through it might be like maybe a better read for me or for other people that are kind of worried about long shot, but still want to experience like Kennedy Ryan and what she's up to. So it sounds like that might be a really good way to, to get to it for people. Yeah, totally. Um, and you get like the sports stuff where like he eats a really strict diet. So like he's very disciplined. He takes ice baths that are terrible mm. because it's good for him. Like you see all that kind of stuff, which I, 
I don't, it's just like fun details. I got shit on Twitter because I was posting about Blockshot and I was like, it's a sports romance, but the sports are incidental. You know, they're sports agents, but they could be Hollywood agents. Like it's, don't get hung up on that. Please go read it. Even if you don't read sports romance. And someone was like, well, I like sports. So now you've ruined it for me. And I'm what? like, Wait, I can't what? win. Which sports romance is, in which sports romance is the sports not incidental? And so yeah, right. I was like, I'm well, sorry. great. I can't win. Like now no. I've like, if you really like sports, you will love those things. And Kennedy is obsessed with basketball. Sure. So you get so many cool details. But yeah. But also it, that's <laughs> bullshit. And it's not like, that's not a thing. Sit down, person, whoever you are. Like that's just, it's not a <laughs> now thing. Now they're coming for you, Sarah. I know. Come at me because I've read all those sports romances too. And not one of them, like just because at the very end, like whatever, so they and win, so right. catches the ball and wins the Super Bowl does not mean that sports is central to any. Look, I <laughs> it's no. a romance. Oh my god, the romance I'm is on first. Hair, I'm on a but, tear. Yeah, no, but it's tear. true. Like I don't fucking read spy romances. I've said it a thousand times, and part of the reason why I don't read spy romances is because I've literally never read one, with the exception of Lauren Willig, where the spying doesn't take over the entire romance novel. And I don't want that. I want the two people on the page together making out and touching. Okay? That's what I want. I want them ma- – if they're not making out, I want them yelling at each other. And if that's <laughs> – Someone groveling. So, so my point is – Someone's head being sent to someone else. Well, it's like when you Any- read a romance about a CEO, there's not like a bunch of board meetings they're sitting around no. in. Like you have to elide over the boring Literally shit, right? Literally every single great romance out there has the hero and heroine, heroine on the page together most of the time – interacting if one of them is playing football if the hero is playing football then the heroine cannot be on the page with him while he is playing football it's impossible you're not your favorite books are not books that center sports your favorite books are books that center athletes and competence and hot dudes kissing girls or, or, boys. or boys or boys i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> i was like or yes <laughs> i apologize that was just me like on a <laughs> To, like, be making out with each exactly, other. Fine. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to have to re-record that part. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I love a rant. Well, I do. Yeah, it's I not think that it's... you, like, get so caught in the rant that you're like, but wait, boys kissing no. are okay, too. Yeah, yeah that's fine. No. It's fine. Awesome. Yes. Everybody kissing. Yeah. Are they super, super muscly and into each other? I want it. But, like, they have to be on the page together. Yeah. 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 Sure. And this isn't like, yeah. It's No. You're wrong. But yeah. So if you want voodoo and sports and fashion yeah, that and amazing. fucking sexy times, like I have not pointed out the fact that Kennedy's books are hot. Oh, like you get. Yeah. So go. Well, you know what, Sarah, maybe you should take a breather and let me talk about mine because I, I that's actually a You're perfect like, segue. Listeners. No, we're not at all. But I was like, just like pace yourself for like whatever is going to come last. So, you know, this is actually a really good transition to my book, which is called, oh my God, I'm the worst. It's like Fire on the Ice and it's by Tamsin Parker. And the reason I say that is because mine's actually, it's a lesbian romance about two women who are at like an Olympics, a winter Olympics type event called the Snow and Ice Games. Um, cause she couldn't call it the Olympics, I'm sure. So it's actually a five book series. They all came out. Um, it must've been in 2018, right when the winter Olympics were happening. And I, I liked them all to like a various or lesser degrees, but this is the one that's really stuck with me. And this two heroines, right. Who had hooked up four years earlier at the previous snow and ice games. One is a speed skater. Her name is blaze Bellamy. And then the other is a figure skater, and her name is Maisie Harper, I think. And the thing that's really interesting about their romance is, like, first of all, I am not kidding you when I tell you that if you were like, what is the hottest book you've ever read? I would probably say this book. Wow. Yeah, the sex in this book is fucking off the charts. And part of it is because what I remember thinking when I read it was athletes – can do things with their bodies that regular people cannot Mm do right like they are in touch with their like physical being in a way that i'm not right i sit on my fucking couch and eat jelly beans and read romance novels right (laughs) and these women 
like like it's it's fascinating to me like I was really into it because it was it actually starts off like it's almost all sex and it's we talk a lot about like sex building intimacy often in romances and this is almost the opposite like the sex is instead almost like like a sport to them right and they have to push through to get to the point where they can share like emotional things with each other and I think there's like a couple subplots that I think are again like worth talking about so like Maisie's a figure skater and her parents are actually um homophobic like they are still in touch with her but it's very controlling like right like don't be too out there don't be too in everybody's face And what's tied into that for her is that they want her skating to be less athletic and more graceful. And so it's also this push when you are a, when you're a female athlete, right? Mm -hmm. How strong are you really allowed to be? Right? How, how, like, what does it mean to have power when you are a female athlete and what is sort of like socially acceptable. And I thought it was really fascinating. And Blaze, on the other hand, is a speed skater. She is, she's like this wild child. She is, um, she's actually polyamorous. And so like one of the ways that like they're working this out is like Maisie's just interested in Blaze, but Blaze is like, okay, I want to be with you, but that's really sexually not going to be enough for me. And I think that the way the they end up negotiating all of this, like kind of who am I as an athlete and a woman and as a partner, I just think it's really interesting and and has, like I said, has really stayed with me. It's a book I think about often. And when I think about like what athlete sports romances can be like, especially with women as main characters, as opposed to like the man, or like what if both people are world-class, world-class athletes? I think that's like a really interesting question that this book deals with in a really fascinating way. And I really loved it. And it was sexy times. There's fisting. Fuck yes. <laughs> Is this the one the book queen or someone pointed out? Was I like- don't know. I reviewed it on the book queen's blog. And so I will put a link to it and to the other ones in the series. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like literally was like, oh, 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 oh my. <laughs> oh my God. She's clutching her pearls in case I am. I'm like, if you could see me right now, I'd be like, oh my. I'm all for fisting, but like, oh, oh. I'm all for reading about fisting. Man, I didn't even push a kid out down there. So that way. So I did. I mean, I pushed a kid out. I've I've been on the the giving end of that. I have not been on the receiving end of that. Oh, look at you. But I feel like this is a classier podcast than that. So I should not be should not be relating stories of fisting. Um, I don't think it is at all, in fact. I mean, we did just have your cohort on to talk about Mr. Vivisection, so. This is true. You know. This is very true. <laughs> if I'm not sure how you transition from there's fisting, but I'm just going to. Yeah. All right, Sarah, somehow get from fisting to whatever book you're talking no about. Good Go. segue from fisting to Naima Simone. But. I mean, I think Naima would disagree. Naima, we love you. If you, any of our yeah. listeners who want to like work on that, like seven, <laughs> what is it like the Kevin Bacon thing? Like seven, six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. There yeah. is, there is no fisting in the book that I'm about to talk about. But I do love the book you're about to talk about. I know. It's so good. Okay. This is going to come to a lot. I've, I feel like I've alienated a whole lot of people already this podcast. So like, let's just keep with it. It will come as very little surprise to everyone that I actually do not read friends to lovers very much either because I mean if they're not yelling at each other is it even a romance um and they've been able to resist each other for that long can it be that intense (laughs) exactly exactly um but I'm about to talk about a friends to lovers romance that I love so much that so much it made me rethink basically all of the truths of my romance reading um So the book I want to talk about is Naima Simone's Scoring Off the Field, um, which is the second in her WAGS series, Wives and Girlfriends. Um, And it's set in the NFL. You know, every hero is in – they play on the same team, uh, the same same NFL team, the Washington Warriors. 
And the hero of uh, this book is uh, the quarterback, the star core. This is this is actually what I was talking about at the beginning. Uh, oh this, yeah, this is a really sort of like textbook, um, textbook sports series where um, the you're what you're seeing is heroes who are at the like pinnacle of their career. They're like their bodies, their careers, their their business, everything about them is like just at the top. Um, but Dominic Anderson is the um, hero of this book. He is the star quarterback. Um, and he is like, talk about somebody who is obsessed with the game, like focus. He can't think of anything else but football. He's up for a new contract and um, he's worried about he's getting older he's worried yeah. about where he fits into football now he's concerned. well he's worried about like his like backup quarterback right I mean he's definitely like at the top of his game but worried right there's a young guy sort of like nipping at his heels he's worried so he's like constantly focused and um the way that he is able to be constantly focused is that he has this terrific um personal assistant Tennyson Clark um who is also his best friend from childhood and they have been best friends forever and um Tennyson has been obsessed with him and in love with him since they were children like it is so it is unrequited friend unrequited friends to lovers because she is so wildly in love with him um that she actually cannot live her life normally like she is she is and she the book begins with and I feel like this is there's just such honesty to this as a character trait like anybody who's ever been in sort of like an unrequited friendship unrequited love with a friend has experienced this sort of moment where you realize that like you have put your life on hold for them to be in the presence of this person who you love and Tennyson realizes on page one of Scoring Off the Field that she cannot, she cannot sustain this, that he has, she has dreams of her own. She doesn't want to be his assistant. She wants to be a therapist. She wants to be a child psychologist. Well, and she has the degrees. It's not just like, oh, that's my future. It's literally like I'm in, I'm in the parking lot. Like I'm just waiting and there's no point to it. And she's, she's so wild about him like he's and also importantly she had a traumatic childhood he he was like her rock she was in the foster system he was her rock during all that time like um they so you know I think there's there's this really interesting push-pull of like she feels beholden to him in some way and like is that part of the unrequited piece too is she really in love with him at the start of the book there are some really interesting, like emotional questions that come to come into come to pass in this book. Um, but basically, at the very beginning of this book, you see her in the moment of, um, you know, in the moment of, of action. The it's the inciting moment for the story, um, and it's it, from a craft perspective. For those of you who are writers, like we talk so much about starting the book in the right place, and this book starts in the exact right place which is a moment where um, Tennyson has already realized that she is stagnant. Like we never, we don't see her um, in inactivity at all. We see her, the first moment we see her, she is quitting her job as his personal assistant. And he is like, okay, whatever. Like you're not going to do that. And she's like, no, 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 you need to hear me. Like I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm going to start looking for new jobs. Like, I and it's help this you. amazing moment because I feel like he it's really the first time he like sees her because yeah. she has like, yeah, like he's completely taken her for granted. She's so good at that job that like he, she just makes things move sl- smoothly for him. And like that's yeah, suddenly a she's a person. Right. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And it's like really like because it's always the question with friends to lovers like why like why what changed it now she changes it now and it's not her intention she doesn't think that's what's gonna happen no his he sees her right she does she takes action in a it's a real act of self-preservation like she's like fuck me i'm gonna be stuck here forever he's gonna marry a movie star and like be a celebrity and i'm gonna be like the girl who everybody just knows keeps his calendar forever and alone and like longing in this like 
kind of pathetic, sad way if I don't fucking do something. And she is so proactive from job from moment one. Um, and he's like, whoa, wait a second. You can't yeah. leave me. And she's like, you can't oh, leave me, but I can. I can leave you. I'm going to start online dating. I'm going to look for a new job in Ohio. <laughs> like, yeah. she's where like, they grew up. I'm right. out. I'm out. This is done. This is unhealthy for me. This is toxic. I'm done. And the whole book is about him having to come to the realization that he has been toxic. Like, the yeah. relationship has been toxic for her. And then there, I mean, I'm going to just spoil like a little teeny piece of it because Naima. I'm, I've said before how much I love reading romance novels where I can't see the – I can't see yeah. how it's going to end. And, right. like, I can't see how the writer is, is going to tie up all the ends. And there is a moment where she says to him, like, I love you. Like, I've, I can't do this. It's hurting me. And his response is, well, I can't love you. Ugh. And it's because – he had like his only path forever as a kid who I think was also in the foster system. Like he's like, I ha like, this is my only path. This is my way out. It goes back to that yeah. long shot conversation about like, like for so many athletes, sports is the way out. It's a Friday night lights kind of like you get one shot. Well, and it's here. also like there's a timestamp on it, right? Like if you're a CEO or a businessman, you could be that your whole life. Mm -hmm. But being an athlete at the top of your game, that is a young person's game, right? Like that is it till you're 30, till you're 35. And so the other thing is like there's this desperation that comes off of these athletes because they know that once this is over, it's over. There's no more, right? Like you could leave your job as you know, as a like a businessman and go to another business. This is that's not how this works. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing that's really interesting about like athletes is like unlike being a duke, you're a duke for fucking ever, right? You are not the quarterback forever. Mm -mm. Yeah, and it so gives I, them a reason to prioritize their career over relationships yes. or anything else in their lives. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause they just think that can be for later. This yeah. is for now. I worked my entire life to get to this point. How can I give it up now? And yeah. that's really compelling. That's a really compelling drama for sure. Well, and what's interesting about this, and and this is maybe the other reason why sports romances work so well for readers, is one of the moments in romance that I think is most um, kind of pure id for readers is the moment, and it's something that you think about as a writer all the time, is the moment where the hero or the heroine has to give up the one thing they want most in the world or love most in the world for the other character, right? So in this particular case, um, you know, there is this sort of and, – and it's never by ask. It's never an ultimatum because obviously if it's an ultimatum, it can't work. It has to be a moment of self-realization, for in this case Dominic to realize that like everything he has been working for for his whole life means nothing without her yeah. and I mean typically this is where the grovel swoon comes in. Yeah. I know it is you guys I I was on a plane a week ago and I literally was like I have 800 books I should read and I reread this book. Like I've reread this book, and I'm I'm often like a scene rereader. This book I read from beginning to end yeah. every time because it is so fucking perfect. It is a perfect romance novel. Yeah, I've read it twice in six months. Like yeah, <laughs> and I I want to call out the rest of the series too. The rest of the series is excellent. Um, oh, for the first sure. one, the hero, a scoring with the wrong twin. The hero is supposed to be doing like a photo shoot with a model, a supermodel. And um, the model has a twin sister and the supermodel like can't make it for some reason. And so the sister steps in and they have this like sort of awkward photo shoot and yeah, it's right. adorable. And then the third one is a secret, sort of secret baby story. Surprise a, baby, maybe. It's a one night stand 
um, with a hero who's based on Jason Momoa, according to Naima. So if he's your if Fine. he's your jam, he's your jam. Um, and they are they have a one night stand, and she gets pregnant, and um, he is a stand up guy. It goes back to this sort of like. Sorry, those are three tropes I generally do not like, and yeah. those are three of my favorite books. So that's such a good point. Yeah, Naima Simone is like working witchcraft over there. Her books are so good. Yeah, so good. And I don't want to like self promo our podcast here. No, but yeah, we sure, have an episode with Naima, and it is one of the funniest things. Like I was in pain laughing, and even listening to it a second time when I was doing the show notes, I was like in stitches. She is fucking hilarious like so funny and like she does these recaps of reality tv if you follow her on social media and they're like i don't watch the bachelor but i every watch monday the yeah every monday it was like it's bachelor day i get to see what naima <laughs> thinks of the bachelor like she is so so funny i adore her she's deep like, yeah. she's super she's... talented super talented yeah that's a book. There are a handful of books or maybe 20 books in the world that I feel like I wish I'd written that. And Scoring Off the Field is one of the books that I wish I'd written. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. It's a gift. All right. Any last thoughts about sports romances before we exit the stage to the, I don't know, NCAA basketball tournament or whatever sports ball event is currently happening? Yeah. Sports, ball. sports ball. I I just think there's interesting stuff happening in that subgenre. Like, yeah, I think so too. You've got like Alexa Martin, who is a real life football wife. Like her husband played in the oh, NFL. Is she really? Yeah, so she's writing it, and like her fumbled is the second book in the series, and like she deals with CTE, which was something Ooh. like you're writing about football. We're glorifying football, but football has real problems, and these yeah. people are hurting themselves. And like I was yeah. just really interested to see her take that on. So. I think you're starting to break away from the the standard conventions and seeing more things like more societal issues leaking in, I think. So yeah, that's really cool. cool. That's well, we're great. starting to see that that it's imperfect, right? That that sports you know, it's a it's the same way that I I'm starting to see in military romances like more people talking about PTSD. Yeah. It's this sort of, you know, what the heroes that used to be larger than life now there's an awareness of the pressure that comes with that. Yeah. And heroines too, like in Tamsin's book. Well, thank you for joining us, Jenny. It was an amazing podcast and an awesome episode. And we will definitely put in show notes your all of the like episodes that have to do with people we talked about today. And we hope that you will read some of these sports romances on your own and share with us ones that you love. There are so many yeah. that we literally, I don't even know how we just like picked the three we picked. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So thank all you right. guys. Thanks, Jenny, so much. See you guys soon. Thank you.